Well, hello and welcome to VLGA Connect in conversation today with David Morris. And before I get to David, uh, Catherine Arndt has joined us. Catherine is the CEO, of course, of the VLGA. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Chris. Hello, David. Nice to have you on the program today. Hi to both of you. Good to be here. David, thank you for joining us. As the uh, shadow uh, spokesperson for local government in uh, Victoria, we're really keen to get your sense of of how things are around the sector, your observations and your approach to the role. Um, this is not the first time you've had this portfolio, am I right? <laughs> no, no, Chris, it's not. Um, I think one way and another, um, so uh, probably close to nine years out of my 14 and a half years um, in in the parliament, I've had some association with the, with the portfolio. Um, I was a councillor back in the dark ages pre-amalgamation and um, I went into parliament in, in at the end of 2006 and at the end of two or sorry early 2008 um, the Liberals and the Nationals went back into coalition which was uh, an opportunity for Ted maybe the leader at that stage to sort of refresh the front and the middle bench and at that point he asked me to be shadow parliamentary secretary for local government so I did that basically for three years and then I was actually the Parliamentary Secretary for Local Government for four years, uh, 2010 to 2014. And then about um, September 2017, Matthew Guy, I was Shadow Minister for Finance uh, for all of the last Parliament. And um, towards the end of 2017, Matthew asked me to, to pick up Local Government again. And then I thought I'd escaped when, when we had the... Uh, when we had the election, I went into the environment portfolio, but I've sort of had a, um, I, I've had a range of responsibilities in this parliament, but I'm delighted to be back, um, back in the local government portfolio, along with housing and ageing. David, what have you seen change, I guess, over the years um, from your time as a, as a mayor and councillor and then those early sort of years you described then in the parliamentary, shadow parliamentary secretary role? What's changed in the sector from your observations? Oh, look, it, it's been it's been an interesting evolution, Catherine. I think um, early on, because a lot of the players hadn't changed, while the rules had changed, the um, sort of the structure had changed. We'd gone through amalgamations. We'd we'd gone from two hundred ten to seventy eight and seventy nine councils, uh, but a lot of the councils hadn't changed, particularly in regional Victoria, but around Melbourne. Um, most, of the, uh, most of the officers hadn't changed. A few new people came in from various backgrounds. Um, so for a while there, it was, it was almost business as usual with, you know, with, with the diff different responsibilities under the Act and, and so on. Um, but of course, we've now got to the point where we're 25, 27 years on from amalgamation. Um, and we're, we're seeing um, probably most of the, the councillors from the pre-amalgamation era now gone. If they're not, they're getting pretty damn old. <laughs> uh, unless, you know, unless you're about six, like I was when I got elected. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we're seeing, we, we, we now have, I think, a very different, uh, a very different local government. Um, and I hadn't, 
I haven't really thought this through. It's, I'm just sort of speaking off the top of my head, but it's, um, you know, sort of the old, uh, the old ways persisted, the old culture persisted, and then has gradually evolved. So I think we've now, you know, we've got a, a different breed of councillors. We've got uh, a lot of particularly CEOs, but but um, senior officers coming in that have not, you know, started at the council at 16 and worked their way through. Um, I hesitate to say it's a more vibrant or dynamic environment because I think the old one was pretty good, but it was, you know, within a, it was a far more structured environment. Um, there's probably one other thing that I'd add that became more evident to me immediately, and I think it's grown, and that is the, the vast difference in the relationship between councils and particularly the state government and uh, st uh, senior council officers and state public servants. In, in my day, in the old Mornington Shire, um, we had next to no involvement with the public service. You know, we, yes, we try and talk to ministers, uh, but yeah, there wasn't um, there wasn't a one to one relationship between public servants and council officers, and I think that's you know the, the closest we got to it. I remember the regional manager from Vic Roads came down um, <laughs> and, and met with the council, and that was sort of a probably a, a, a every three years uh, we'd have those sorts of meetings. Um, whereas I think now there's a, a you know a far greater integration. There's certainly I think more migration between between the two so there's a, that that understanding um but because the councils are that much bigger and there's so many fewer of them to deal with uh it's much easier to have have direct links and that's changed the nature of the beast yeah at one stage in my time it was pretty much politician to politician and then then the professionals were expected to go back and implement the, the policy decisions that we made Whereas now, depending on the area, but I think there's a lot more interaction. It's, it's probably understandable when you think about the number of services that local government deliver to their communities. I think it's over 140. And of course, many of those services are delivered on behalf of state and also federal government. So, you know, the, the, the myriad of, of legislation and policies across a number of state departments and even federal departments really need to be digested by the local government sector. And I guess just on that point, David, you've had an opportunity now, I understand, to talk to a few um, councillors and, and councils since you've been back in the portfolio. We've got a new local government act. Well, it's not so new anymore. It came in last year. And also um, we had local government elections um, in October last year. What, what are some of the observations or what are you hearing from the sector? Well, I should say, um to start with, I haven't been able to meet with as many councils as I would like to have, in, in part because I'm not keen to do it via Zoom or via Teams. You know, I, I, I think I get a much better feel for, uh, I get a much better feel for people, frankly, but, you know, for sort of the circumstances and the environment um, of a council by actually coming out and, and sitting down in, in the municipality. So... You know, I've, I've talked to a few councils. I've been up up in the northeast. I've been over to see uh, West Wimmera. 
Um, we've um, we've done a little bit around the Geelong region, not Geelong itself, but um, Golden Plains and uh, uh, Golden Plains and Colac Hotway at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm hoping, and I've obviously talked to a lot more on the phone or, or via Zoom, but um, the intention in the next six months, COVID permitting, is to actually get around and sit down with every council or or the mayor and CEO, you know, whatever arrangements suit them. So uh, I hope to have a whole lot more feedback than I have at the moment. Um, but I think um, in, in terms of the act itself, most people seem relatively happy with it. Uh, I've seen or I've seen a, a, you know, a little bit of concern about the, you know, the consultative process and, and sort of the... the um, particularly into into the council plan and and the need to, you know, some councils have said to me, look, this is fantastic. We we you know it, we we were trying to, to consult the best we can, but now we've got a framework and we, you know, we yes, it costs us money, but it's money really well spent. And and others are saying, you know, that's our job. We're elected members. We're here to represent the community. We can talk to the community. Why should we spend fifty or sixty or seventy thousand dollars to break payers' money um, for, for a process no one's ever used before? So I think, um, no pun intended, the jury is very much out on 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 that small part of the act. Uh, but I think generally it's working pretty well. I've got to say though, um, I have a concern with the legislation, and it's more of a parliamentarian's concern than sector concern, but we're seeing not just in the Local Government Act, but um, in in many pieces of legislation, there's one before the Parliament um, at the moment with regard to social services, um, but we're seeing a real trend where what was previously in regulation is often moved down to guidance, and a lot of what was previously in, in an Act is being said, oh, no, we'll do that in regulation. And, and so the Act, um, you know, the, 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 all of us words, it's a principles-based Act and, you know, it's a broad framework and all the deep, yeah. But that does, um, you know, from my perspective, it, it gives the regulation-making process a lot of power. Um, and... Yes, I know you can disallow regulations, but it's it's not the same as actually being able to amend legislation. Uh, you, you, you know, you can either disallow regulation or not. You can't really go through and say, well, you know, page 27, line 12, omit, because we're not happy with it. You, you, you don't get to disallow regulations. Like, not, not that the Legislative Assembly ever deals with regulations, but the Council certainly has the capacity to do it. You and I have spoken about about this before and and the concerns, I guess, that you're um, articulating there from your perspective is, uh, I guess, the the lack of opportunity potentially for the parliament to to scrutinise the legislation um, in ways it may have done so in the past. Although I think the move to the principles-based approach is, is something that's happening across, well, is probably... Um, not just limited to to Victoria. Oh, absolutely. The only, um, you know, we don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but just just on on that point, 
Um, the principles-based approach is great when it's working, but you know, so I mentioned, you know, the the, the form, what formally regulations often get down to guidance, and that's completely in the hands of either the minister or or um, local government, Victoria, in the case of local government, um, and completely below below the radar as far as parliaments are concerned. And you know, th that's when it can get into difficulties. I mean, we don't want to tie people up in detail. We're not saying we need to you know, dot every I and cross every T and just really nail everything down. But it's, it's just about um, how, how the principles in the Act interact with how it plays out on the ground. And we'll just have to wait and see. Look, and I think the role, the peak bodies have a role in assisting um, that also, and, and that's why we really value from the VLGA's perspective the opportunity to engage with stakeholders like yourself and also, um, you know, the local government, Victoria. And so, David, you made the point that, you know, there's a, there's a different relationship between uh, people who work in councils these days and um, the public service uh, more broadly. Um, and it's it's not lost on me that you know we've lost a few CEOs from the local government sector recently. Uh, news of another one this week, uh, going into roles with uh, the state government. So um, two issues there. One, there's closer relationships, I think, because a lot of local government people are choosing to go into those state public service roles. But I guess the broader thing there is the loss of uh, CEOs. Uh, around the state with experience and a lot of knowledge, uh, which is a double-edged sword, of course. It creates opportunities for new CEOs coming through, um, but it also means uh, we've got, uh, um, yeah, that loss of experience. Is that something that you've turned your mind to and should it be a concern? Well, it's something um, I've certainly had conversations with LG Pro about. I, I think it's probably, the, the issue is probably heightened because, as I mentioned earlier, we've now got to that point where pretty much anyone who was involved in local government pre-amalgamation is gone. You know, I can think of um, two or three friends of mine, people have remained friends um, who've retired in, in the last couple of years. Um, so you, 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 you are, to some extent, losing that organisational memory or institutional memory. Um, and I'm not sure that, and this may be a sweeping statement, but I'm not sure we're as good at retaining institutional memory now as we were, say, 20, 25 years ago. Um, mm. So the personnel then become even more important. Um, and, and also, I think, um, and I don't, I don't have any, any thoughts about how you fix this, but you know, I think the, the, the injection of, of um, talent from outside the sector has been very useful. And you know, mm. we, we've some really good people come into local government that, that may not have gone near it if, if it had been as structured as it used to be. You also more and more have um, sometimes CEOs, sometimes senior officers who come into local government and don't get the role of the council. Yeah. And, you know, sort of feel that they're there simply to be a rubber stamp and to be corralled and, you know, you'll talk about what we want you to talk about and so on. 
Um, and, and I think that that's a danger. That's a danger both for for for, for council laws um, and for the organisation. So I think we, we do need to keep an eye on that because um, if we get to a point where um, the councillors are effectively considered to be rubber stamps, um, then the sector's in danger, I, I think. That's the point where uh, the organisation starts working to its own priorities rather than the priorities of its community. And that's, that's a dangerous point, I think. The other thing I wanted to get your thoughts on is we seem to be hearing more and more about cultural issues, uh, particularly amongst councillors, but not just that, often between the elected reps and the organisations. Um, and the current minister, Sean Lean, has been pretty clear that he's found what he's heard to be unacceptable and is conducting a review of the culture in the very near future. Uh, do you welcome that? Do you have any thoughts on the need for that sort of process to happen? I certainly have no problem with it. That's that's that, that's my starting point. I mean, I, you know, I, I haven't been in the room, so to speak, for a very long time, and some of the, you know, some of the reports that you hear of the behaviour, you know, 99% of councillors are absolutely responsible for doing the right thing and, and behaving, behaving themselves. Um, there's all, and there's always been one or two that that don't. I, the council I was part of had a um, had a council that thought it'd be fun to burn down the senior bylaws officer's back fence and finish up getting charged with arson. It, it, I'm not saying it, 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 it's never happened in any anywhere close to me, but yes, some of the bullying that you're hearing about now is completely unacceptable, and it's un unacceptable in any organisation. Um, that the, that sort of behaviour, I have no personal experience of. But as I, I, I made the point when I spoke to Elka a while back, the the conference, you know, I'm not a woman, so I'm not going to see things through the eyes of a woman. And what I might see as being perhaps edgy but acceptable, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not in their shoes. I, I, I said it far more eloquent, eloquently at the conference. I was quoting uh, Eric Holder, who was Barack Obama's uh, Attorney General, and he was he was talking about his experience as a black man. Uh, but I think the same same applies. Um, yeah, I mean that that behaviour is just completely unacceptable. What I think we've got to be very careful of, though, is that we don't allow, and and everyone's got to be vigilant on this, that we don't allow whatever actions we take to provide a necessary remedy um, to be then taken up as a political tool. We, you know, we don't want to fall, fall in the trap of, oh, you're bullying me being pulled out because, yeah, because that person is your political opponent. Mm. Yeah, and, and so I guess 
where I'm really heading with that is I think we've all got to be very careful about the level of debate and the way we debate issues. Because robust debate, whether it's in the council chamber or in the legislative assembly chamber, is an absolutely critical part of democracy. But you've got to be able to respect one another when you're doing it, and when you walk outside, you've got to be able to talk to one another. Just on that point, and this is probably not a bad um, sort of conversation point to, to wrap up on, is, you know, we're entering, we're about to enter into the um, mayoral election processes shortly, yet again. And, and I guess, um, you know, as a former mayor and councillor yourself, what, what um, would you say to your, you know, the councillors out there about, you know, what makes a good mayor? What's the role of the mayor about and what are some of the skills and attributes you think um, that person should bring to the role? Well, I think you can probably make a distinction between the, the, the public-facing public-facing aspects of the role, you know, the ability to, to be a community leader, to, to interact with the community, to, to represent the council at public functions and, and that sort of thing, and, and represent the council and argue the, effectively argue the council's case with ministers and, and so on. Um, but I think the, the, the more critical element is the ability to run a meeting fairly, to run a meeting in an inclusive way and make sure, coming back to that point I was, I was making about, about debate, you know, not, not, not every debate is going to be absolutely life and death, um, but you need someone that when it does get to, you know, when it does get to be serious, that everyone can walk out of the room feeling that they've at least had the opportunity to to have their say and they've been dealt with fairly. And, and if, you, if, if you can do that, then you've got a, a real chance of making any council work. Um, but if people feel they're being victimised, if people feel they're being overlooked, um, that's when the tension starts. We might wrap it up there. Um, wise words. Thank you, David. Really appreciate spending some time with you and getting your thoughts on the state of the sector. and. Um, I'm sure the sector looks forward to engaging with you uh, more frequently and more openly when conditions allow in the hopefully not too distant future. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, thank thank you. you for asking me, Chris. It's been a pleasure to be here. Catherine, good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you, David. Thank you. Thank you. We've been speaking with David Morris, the Shadow Minister for Local Government in Victoria, the member for Mornington, of course, on a special edition of VLGA Connect. Thanks for your company and we'll see you again soon. Mm -hmm.